seventh episode of The Virtual Couch. I'm your host, Tony Overbay. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist, certified mindful habit coach, writer, speaker, husband, father of four, and creator of The Path Back, which is an online pornography addiction recovery program that is helping people reclaim their lives from pornography addiction. If you know anybody who is struggling with pornography addiction, please point them to pathbackrecovery.com. And even if you personally aren't struggling with pornography addiction or compulsive sexual behavior, um, head over to the website. Uh, there's a download you can get. I wrote a short ebook that describes five common mistakes that people make when they are trying to overcome pornography addiction. And I think it's helpful. Uh, there's some things that are more along the lines of um, kind of how we beat ourselves up and guilt and shame. And uh, I get into some of the tools that you can use as well. So you can download that at pathbackrecovery.com. And I really want to thank everybody who listened and shared the episode that I recorded earlier this week, um, shortly after finding out about the horrific tragedy in Las Vegas. If you haven't listened to that episode or if you're new to the podcast, in that episode I talked about how to process a tragedy like what happened in Vegas with your kids, with your teens, um, in a way that not only leaves room for or allows them to feel like they can express their thoughts and emotions and not feel like those thoughts and emotions are wrong, but I also talked about how to instill hope moving forward uh, because we certainly all need hope. The youth of the world, the future generations truly need to feel hope in order to help them get up from something like what happened earlier this week and find ways to uh, to make for an even brighter tomorrow. So that has been the already by far the most downloaded and shared episode, so I'm grateful for that. And, uh, and if you haven't listened, please do, and please feel free to share that with friends or on Facebook pages, social media, uh, that sort of thing. That would be wonderful. So I'm recording again here in the daylight. I shared that, I think, a couple episodes ago, and it's just so different. So the window's open, and I told a story last time about um, this client of mine that had gotten a ride on a... Uh, on a uh, dolly across in front of this window in front of me while I was in session. And so I had another client who listened to that episode. And this person said that when they heard that I was about to tell a story, they thought, oh, okay, this one's about me because uh, that they're a little bit um, kind of infamous for this as well. So I had to share this one. This particular client has uh, two in the um, things they do in front of my window hall of fame. The first one was uh, just this person walked right up and, uh, um, she just ate a burger right in front of the window and just, boy, ate it with all the pre- being present and mindful, all the gusto that she could just staring right at the window, just ate it, you know, ate it up, licked her fingers, that sort of thing. And, and uh, the, the funny part on that particular day was I was on a phone, um, a phone session, so it wasn't as hard to not look. So that one was kind of funny. But even better, there was another time where she brought uh, someone who had come with her and they staged a little bit of a fight right outside. And I, you know, when I think back on that one, it was it was like the, in the performance of a lifetime. I mean, they stop and they start arguing, and then um, she acts like she punches this guy. And this guy, I mean, he has some acting chops because he just dropped. I mean, I seriously had to stand up, kind of wonder, um, is he okay? I mean, I knew he was, but you know, I don't know. She maybe tagged him. Sometimes that could have happened, uh, but but she got him good. It looked like she did. He drops like a rock, and then they got up and they basically took a bow. And man, that one was hard to keep a straight face too. And I had to think I'm in this office complex. If anybody else saw that one, that was pretty fun. So nothing today. Not seeing anything out in front of me today. But uh, but coming to you from the daylight hours here in Roseville, California, from my office uh, in a private practice here in Roseville. Okay, so today we're going to talk about. It's going to sound a little generic, but we're going to we're going to zero this in. We got a lot of solutions coming up here today. But today we're talking about how to solve life's problems. What do you do when you feel stuck? Because I run into that 
daily, several times a day where people just feel stuck. And so I'm sure you've had a problem or two in your life where maybe you felt stuck. But the question that I get, I've received from listeners since starting the virtual couch is how do I get over something that's happened in my life or or that I feel like I can't get over? Or how do I move forward when I felt paralyzed by just the enormity of the problems that are in front of me? And, uh, and typically it's that paralysis that can cause us to put off solving problems until later. Um, and I love the concept that it's as if later you'll be in a better position to, to solve the problem. And sure, there might be times where that's the case. But I think sometimes if we're really being honest with ourselves, is that later just procrastination? Um, because guess what? When you get to that later, there's another later after that and another later after that. And, uh, and so... Um, at some point, we're going to, you know, do you run out of laters or are these decisions kind of made for you because you have put them off um, too long? You know, there's a concept, too, and I hope that I can express this one uh, the way that um, that it's it's running around in my head. But I work with a lot of clients who they're always waiting for some certain thing to happen and then they'll make the decision. Um, I'm trying to think of a good example of that. One is uh, I've got a client who needs to make some pretty big decisions um, in life with regard to relationships. And uh, she is waiting for a particular thing to happen at work. And this thing continues to get delayed and delayed and delayed. And so meanwhile, she is not really taking much action on anything that um, will help her down the road, that will help build up her emotional baseline, self-esteem, that will help her depending on how this thing goes down at work. And so it's, it's hard for me. I'm trying to build empathy and be there for her. But it's hard for me to watch that when, from my experience, you see that when somebody finally does, you know, the thing happens at work or, um, you know, people are putting off things until a, a, an event, a trip, a birthday, a race, uh, you name it. And then after that thing, then we'll make the decision as if then after this thing happens that there will be this switch that flips and now everything will make, make sense. So, you know, if you're tracking with what I'm kind of sharing here, um, my goal is to try to help people in order to get unstuck, to, to see what they can kind of do now, um, not just wait for this this time, this thing, this this switch that's going to flip later. Uh, start creating that change now. It, Albert Einstein once said, if I had an hour to solve a problem, I'd spend 55 minutes thinking about the problem and five minutes thinking about solutions. And I think that's just spot on. We spend so much time thinking about our problems, the enormity of our problems. We compare our problems to those of others. We play out worst case scenario after worst case scenario of what will happen if we try to act on our problems. You know, what if this happens? What if this happens? Well, I know that sometimes people do this or some people do this. And uh, so like Einstein said, I mean, out of that hour, um, how much time do we actually spend realistically thinking about solutions and what we can do to change or to get ourselves out of this feeling of being stuck? So here comes a little cliche warning. Have you ever thought that not making a decision actually is the decision? Um, and I believe that fully, that our, you know, our brain, and if you go back and listen to the episode on debunking the myth of habit change, our brains over time develop these patterns of behavior, um, even patterns like not making decisions. Our brain will find uh, that it will start to spin and it will go into these worst case scenarios or sometimes I call them crystal ball thinking of, well, if I do this, this will happen and this will happen and this will happen. So I don't want to take that approach. And, uh, but our brain will get into those patterns, not the pattern of trying to solve a problem. Um, again, calling back to that episode, your basal ganglia, this little, uh, this little habit center of your brain loves nothing more than to say uh, when the brain's trying to start down this road to process something, the basal ganglia, this habit center likes to say, 
uh, hey, she's trying to make a decision. Uh, no worry, I got it from here. We're just going to spin some stuff around and around, conjure up some worst case scenarios until we can convince her to put it off for later. So uh, we're good. And, and so, you know, we got to fight those neurological ruts, those neurological patterns, and uh, to be able to really start to tap into making change. One of the most powerful pieces of advice I heard recently was this concept of do not walk past a problem. When you see it, deal with it or do something with it. That just immediate reaction about deal with that later, um, I think, does become a pattern of behavior. So even if it's um, I'm going to have a little more awareness around it or I'm going to try to take any kind of action toward it. I mean, I'll tell you, uh, there are times where, you know, I'm, I, I am not a huge fan of um, book work, paperwork, billing, all that stuff, which is not a great thing when you're a self-employed therapist. But a lot of times in the past, I, you know, I used to walk past those. I'll do that later. And those are things now that even if I can't get all of that stuff done, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to gather some information. I'm going to get it to my bookkeeper. I'm going to start that ball rolling. Uh, and I'm proud to say, what's today? This is uh, October 4th. And my billing is already to my bookkeeper for last month. So, And that was a, the perfect example of not walking past that problem. I wanted to. had plenty of other things I could look at or do, but, uh, but I, didn't, I wanted to make sure I didn't walk past that. So these problems that we're talking about, they can be anything. They can be career-related. Do I change jobs? Do I ask for a raise? Should I move? Should I stay? Should I go back to school? Should I drop out of school? Why can't I start exercising? Why can't I stay on a diet? How can I stop procrastinating? Um, actually, we can even talk about that one later, uh, the procrastination one, um, which is a joke. I'm procrastinating that one. But why do I feel stuck? That is the part that we are talking about today. So I'm going to spend a little bit of time uh, in a book that I love called The Road Less Traveled by M. Scott Peck. And I want to I want to share a little quote from you. Mind you, this is a self-help book. This is a book that has sold millions of copies and it's designed to bring you hope. But it starts out like this. And this is what I love. The opening lines of this self-help book says, life is difficult. There's a little period there. It's on its own line even. Um so life is difficult. You know, there's some, there's some, yay, you know, pick me up kind of uh, language. But here's why I love it. Because after Peck writes life is difficult, he goes on to say that this is one of the great truths, one of the greatest truths, because once we truly see this truth, uh, once we embrace it, then we can transcend it. So once we understand and accept that our lives are difficult, then in essence, it no longer is as difficult because of the fact that life is difficult doesn't matter. I know that might kind of sound a little bit therapist touchy-feely stuff, but kind of stay with me here. What what Peck is saying, and I fully believe, is that most of us um, we either don't see or we don't want to see or we don't completely understand that by not accepting that life is going to be difficult, we set ourselves up now to play a lifelong game of my problems are bigger than your problems, and doggone it, I'm going to make sure that I can prove it. And uh, so now we can get back to this later. When When do you win. I mean, you know, what do you win if you're playing that game? So let's say you do in fact prove, you know, in the future, scientists make it this, uh, this device that you can feed all of your problems in, or it can do a nice functional brain scan and, and you are the winner, the point, whatever percent more, um, it shows that you have more problems and that yours are in fact, you know, worse. Um, uh, what do you get? Um, you get like, a to get like a trophy or, you know, you get some like a gift certificate to the Olive Garden or, you know, what do you get for that? I mean, and I think that's part of the perspective that we have to change. And that's part of why I love that concept of, you know, life is difficult, but now what do we do with it? It, it is. I mean, it's, it's as if we expect it not to be. And a lot of that comes from the fact that we are looking around and making comparisons and assuming that everybody else is having this just, you know, wonderfully easy life. 
but I but I worry and I want to caution you from getting stuck in that. Hey, let me prove to you why mine is more difficult. Uh, quite frankly, that I don't know if that's as productive as we need to be. And I have to tell you, I'm going to take you on my train of thought. One of the tools I love to do in therapy. When I was like just laying out those, what do you win awards, that sort of thing. Um, if you do get your the proof that your life is difficult. I don't know why, but I was about to say that, you know, you win magazine subscriptions. That, that one just kind of came to mind. And that did make me think of a story. So I promise you I didn't set this one up. But I just have to tell you, this is one of the, one of the funnier stories that when I think back to college for me, uh, this was uh, back in 89, I think it was. And I was attending Kansas State University. I was, I was out there. I was in a fraternity, talk Cap Epsilon. I was out there with a buddy um, trying, to, trying to figure out if I could play baseball or not out there. I'd just been through this um, pretty horrible accident getting run over by a boat um, my senior year. Probably more on that uh, in a different um, podcast. But I get there and I, I, am a, uh, I, am a, I, I was not a drinker. And so in my fraternity, there were just a couple of us that weren't. And, and it was you know late 80s. Uh, I think it was fresh after all the movies, Animal House, those kind of things. That was probably a little earlier, but you know, it, it was it was a little bit more rambunctious of a fraternity um, than I understand that things are today. There was certainly rules that were saying that you couldn't haze, um, which as pledges we thought, oh, cool, there's rules. But then we didn't realize that that kind of just meant that we for sure weren't going to talk about um, that, or we were going to call it something different. But I mean, I absolutely loved that experience. But uh, let's sometimes people get a little bit more inebriated than need be, and as one who did not imbibe, did not drink, I uh, became quite adept with a, with a marker. And so when people would pass out, I was pretty good at drawing um, glasses and a mustache or some of those kind of things. And, uh, and boy, I have to tell you, here's a confession. Um, there was a fraternity brother that, uh, and I even know his name, I could say it right now, great guy, haven't heard from him in, in a couple of decades. But a couple of buddies of mine and I, um, this, this guy really did like to drink. And when he would start to drink, uh, we would convince him, or not even convince, we would encourage him. Uh, he would typically be hungry, and, and we would encourage him to maybe order pizza. And then as he was starting to get a little bit more closer to uh, falling asleep, we'd make sure that he had his wallet out, he was ready to go, that pizza would get delivered, and we would pay for it, and then he would be, he would be out. So we would end up with pizza and change, and I, I don't even know how many times we did that one. But um, yeah, yeah, I do feel a little bit guilty for that one. But maybe that is what played into what is one of the kind of the funnier things that I think that they could have done. So this is before the internet. This is before um, cell phones, uh, that sort of thing. And I don't know, it was a couple of weeks um, after I'd been there and maybe I'd drawn on a couple of people and they, they knew that I wasn't a drinker. And I got a couple of magazines that came in my box and they weren't the, the most appropriate magazines for a young college student who was trying to keep his temple clean and uh, kind of got it. Okay, that's funny. Ha ha ha. Um, I didn't order them and a couple of the guys snickered. And then the next day there were a few more magazines that came and the next day a few more. And, and then uh, over the course of the next month, I think there was probably pushing a hundred or so magazine subscriptions that came in my name. And so what had basically happened was uh, a couple of the guys or, or maybe more had signed me up for every single magazine subscription known to man that they could get their hand on, all with the um, send the magazine now and bill me later. So I spent weeks trying to track down all of those, um, calling them all 1-800 numbers and, uh, and canceling those magazine subscriptions. The funny part to that was about half of them, I mean, a ton, I'm, I mean, no joke, 50, 60, 70 magazines, they just said, you know what, don't worry about it. We're just going to keep the subscription coming to you. And whenever it, whenever it expires, it expires. And so I remember it was a decade later and I still heard there were magazines that came in my name to the, the, the teak house there at Kansas State. 
So back to the point. So life is a series of problems, and we so we can agree on that. And from this therapist chair, I will tell you that uh, I literally have sat in front of multi-multi-millionaires who don't have a clue of money problems, but they have a lot of problems. And, and they are difficult problems, relationship problems, health problems, you name it. Um, I've sat in front of politicians, TV personalities, professional athletes, beautiful people, captains of industry, airplane um, it's funny when I said captains of industry, I was going to say airplane captains, but I guess they're pilots. Uh, so airplane pilots, but I've actually, actually sat in front of uh, captains in the military, kind of close enough, right? But you name it, dozens and dozens of attorneys and doctors and nurses and firefighters and cops and teachers and writers, um, people who, who own their own businesses and people who have worked for the man, people with uh, a lot of kids, people that have no kids, um, I literally blind people, deaf people, people who have suffered incredibly physical challenges, um, mental challenges, emotional challenges. You name it, and and guess what? They all have problems. So what do we do with the problems? Do we want to spend our lives complaining about them, or do we want to overcome them, or do we want to solve them? Do we want to teach our kids how to solve problems? So I often share a comment with clients that I heard at a training long ago. If you were sitting in a room with a bunch of people, and you were able to put all of your problems down on a piece of paper and put that paper in a hat, and then you had to draw, and, and everybody was going to pick out of the hat a paper of someone else's problems, and then you had to take on those problems, you would inevitably want to, to put those problems back in the hat until you found your own. So, uh, I mean, if we even had a, a clue of what it was like to have other people's problems, it would, it would be pretty, um, uh, I don't know, it, it, would, it would be pretty so, uh, a sobering um, thought. So what do we do now, even with this newfound awareness that life is difficult, but now that it's difficult, we can transcend it? So when life is difficult, now our goal is that we look at the problems that are in front of us with a little more perspective. We see that that problem now is something that we're not going to walk past. Um, We're not going to wait until later. Uh, And I like to give the example that sometimes that problem, it's going to look like a mountain. It's right in front of us. And for many of us, when we get to that mountain... That's when we start making the excuses. We're tired or we have other things to do back where we came from or, you know, we've got YouTube and we've got videos of dogs and slow motion missing tennis balls. And then our brain jumps in and, yeah, he got it. He loves those videos. So we're going to do that for a little while until he remembers that he hasn't checked his NBA scores yet. And once he starts down that internet wormhole, then he's not going to come out of it till he's ordered a couple of things off of Amazon and he's convinced himself that watching all the Marvel movies in order with his son would in fact be a productive bonding moment. So what about the mountain? So, and it's not fair. <clears throat> I know we, you know, we go into this life isn't fair. It's still, it's, it's where our minds are going to go because we know friends who don't have mountains in front of them. The only thing that they might have is a river and it would be super easy for us. We think to cross that river. If that was my problem. I would just walk right across it. No problem. But little do we know that our friend that has the river in front of them, uh, maybe they have some sort of genetic disorder like the wicked witch of the wizard of Oz. And if they walk across the river, they will melt. And on that note, our friend, the one with the Wizard of Oz disorder, maybe happened to be raised on the side of a mountain by a group of mountain climbing nomadic people. So they see our problem and they think, man, they've got it easy over there. If I had lived on it, you know, if I had a mountain in front of me, I would just climb that thing, no problem. But once we're in front of that mountain, so now what do we do with it? And, and this is part of that, again, life is difficult. We're aware of that. Now what do we do with it? So... Can we explore what it would take to climb the mountain? Or what about going around the mountain? Or what if we could tunnel through the mountain? Or do we need to step back and take a little more time to train to climb it? Do we need to go back and get some tools to tunnel through it? Uh, do we need to come back when we're just a little more prepared, assuming that in this new paradigm that we will actually do the training if we step away, that that's not just a time to go back to YouTube and watch dog fail videos? And 
And I understand that it's confronting life's problems that feels difficult. That's what feels painful because when we are met with a problem, that's when now, here, here comes a big, big part of this, that's when our negative self-talk kicks in and it will remind us of all the reasons why we can't overcome this problem. In this scenario, why we can't get over the mountain or around the mountain in front of us and why we never will. And, and that part, again, that can break my heart sitting in front of a client who wants to get over that mountain so badly. But, but if you even start to remotely talk about solutions, because I'm no doubt they've spent you know, 59 minutes or even the full hour, um, as, as Einstein was talking about, thinking about the problem and not about solutions, then they immediately kick into this mode of, I, you don't understand. I can't do that. I, I can't even, I'm, I'm paralyzed. I can't move around that mountain. And then if we even try to do some paradoxical intervention and say, man, you're right. I mean, there's no way you're going to get around that mountain. Then, you know, then they come back with, but I got to get around the mountain. I have to get over the mountain. Okay, well, let's do something about that. And that's, I think, that feeling that people have of when they feel like they're just stuck. So that negative self-talk kicks in and it's telling us all this negative stuff about, you know, uh, why we're no good or, or why we, you know, we've struggled with mountains in the past or, um, you know, it could even be your, your parents or your boss or whoever has always told you that there's no way you could climb mountains. Look at you. You know, you're, you have tiny legs or little feet or whatever it is. You're not going to be able to climb that mountain. So <clears throat> let's move into some solutions, some practical ideas that I like to share with clients to help them solve problems or to become unstuck. So first, I want to talk about, and I know some of these are going to sound like you're, you know, you're, uh, it's going to what you would read if you're just on the internet and you're just kind of clicking through some articles. But I'm, but you know, I, I put this together because I think these are at least ways with this newfound awareness that we can start to move the needle toward action to, to help us get unstuck. First, I think it's important to be willing to let go of the past. And I know it's easier said than done. But this is one of those where you're going to need to trust me on this one. You need to trust the process. Those automatic negative thoughts, that inner voice that's telling you that that you that you can't do something is coming from a place of hurt or fear or anger or regret. Um, so those are these automatic negative thoughts, ants. I think we talked about them on an earlier podcast. But those are going to just come flooding in. So those come from things that have happened in our past. Guess what? We are now in the present. We're looking toward the future so sure, we can, we can make some sense out of the past, but that doesn't mean that it has to define us. So with this newfound awareness that life is not supposed to be easy and that difficult is normal, if that inner voice starts talking crap to you, then tell it that you're not going to play that game anymore because that voice is a huge piece of what causes you to feel stuck. So second, I think it's important that we start to go for some small victories, the, the, the low-hanging fruit. You don't have to climb the mountain today. You may want to, and with this awareness, maybe you're going to go tackle it, and we'll talk about that too. But you may need to start walking more or looking into whether or not climbing poles would help or a different pair of shoes would work. And, and note, that doesn't mean that you need to go like spend a lot of time on the internet because inevitably you'll end up on YouTube and watching dog fail videos. But third, develop more awareness. And I highly recommend some sort of mindfulness practice. Um, I've shared before that I am a huge fan of this app called Headspace. It's this uh, just amazingly calm-sounding individual named Andy, uh, British, and he talks you through guided meditation. And they have these meditation packs for everything, for, for stress, anxiety, uh, creativity, performance. I just did a new, um, went through a new series on uh, distraction. And it, was, and it really was about the, I'm going to sit down and do something productive on my computer. And all of a sudden, 
I am on YouTube and I'll stop beating that one to death. But, um, but that one helped a lot to use this, this technique called noting and to note that, Hey, look what I'm doing, something that I'm not supposed to, or something that's not productive. So, um, so I really recommend some sort of mindfulness practice and I make no secret, especially if you've ever clicked through to pathbackrecovery.com plug for the pornography recovery program that I am a man of faith. I'm a Christian. And so part of my mindfulness routine is spending time in prayer and I'm challenging myself constantly that it's not just rote prayer. You know, it's not just this uh, kind of something repetitively said, but it's like being very present in that moment of prayer. And, uh, and for me personally, um, that has to do with, you know, trying to spend time um, with a prayer of gratitude and, uh, and then spend time during that prayer kind of focusing, listening um, focusing on my breathing, trying to be present so that I can walk away from that experience with a greater appreciation for my life um, and an appreciation for the challenges that are in front of me, um, looking at those as those are opportunities for growth. And that has taken time. I mean, that is not something that I think is necessarily innate. Um, it, had, it certainly wasn't for me. So awareness, uh, part of mindfulness is awareness. And on that note, part of, especially with these guided meditation apps like Headspace, um, there's one called Happify or 10% Happier or Calm. These things are, are wonderful because part of it is that the guided meditation uh, takes a lot of the guesswork. You know, it is telling you here is here is how we're going to do this. But there's a huge piece to that guided meditation that is on awareness. And, and I have to be honest, at first, I didn't necessarily understand what I was doing when I was doing the awareness part of, of a guided meditation. An example is at times, this wonderful guy named Andy at the end, after you've done some some breathing exercises and kind of body scan and be present and your mind will kind of go and he'll get you back to the breathing. And, and it's, you know, it's like doing a workout where you are teaching yourself that when your mind starts to get distracted, that here's a way to come on back to the, the present, to the breath. But then toward the end, sometimes he'll just say, I just want you to let your mind go and I want you to just be an observer. Just be an observer of what's going on in your mind. And when you really embrace that concept, it, it will blow your mind because in the span of a minute, your mind can go in 80 different directions. It can go happy, sad, positive, negative, hope, you know, despair, all of that. But then for whatever reason, we tend to attach more meaning onto these automatic negative thoughts that go into our head. So part of this mindfulness is, is you know, learning how to kind of get back to being present and then, and then being an observer of our thoughts. And then when we see the ones in there that we don't necessarily like or that, that aren't very productive, learning how to just let those kind of move on through and, and focus them back on the ones that, that are present. Which that leads to the fourth thing that I want to talk about. And so here, just to recap, first, be willing to let go of the past. Second, um, let's go for some small victories. Third, I want you to try to work on developing more awareness. And then fourth, and this is big, at your core, it is important to start to, to rediscover or remember or discover for the first time who you are. Or who do you want to become? What's your personal mission statement? What are your core values? And so spending some time reflecting and writing down your core values, um, what you are and what you want to be will start to give you more of a compass. And I think that's the key, a compass that, that you will use in turn to make decisions. And so while, yes, you are a mother or you are a father or you are a worker, um, you're a runner or a writer, I'm talking about what you are at your core are you the one who seeks to help others? Are you the one who desires to seek first to understand before being understood? Do you want to be the one who tries to wish well upon everyone? Are you the one that wants to exude kindness or be a better example of your faith? Do you want to seek more knowledge? Um, do you want to be the one that will help the needy or animals or the elderly? Those will start to be the things that you will turn to that will help you move forward. So when I talked about 
when we start to change the relationship with our thoughts and is that thought productive, a lot of times we're going to kind of run that through this filter of does that thought play to my core value? And I think you can already see the math on that one, right? If your core values are about uh, patience or or exemplifying faith or helping the needy or gaining knowledge, and then these automatic negative thoughts are saying, hey, you can't do that, knock it off, there's no way you will, you're a failure, whatever, um, that's going to be a little easier to move those thoughts through because those have nothing to do with your core values, this personal mission statement. And, uh, and so that kind of leads me to the fifth point, which what... What do you do? You know, what makes you feel alive? I can't tell you how often I run into people when I'm trying to um, establish what they can do for self-care or to raise their emotional baseline. And I go back to the, what are your hobbies? And oh man, people so often go back to, I don't know, or I've lost them or I used to have some. Um, so what are your hobbies? What are your passions? What are the things that you have maybe left behind because you felt like you didn't have time or you shouldn't worry about now that you're older or you have kids? So having the core values defined, like we did in, in, in the fourth part of this um, podcast now a nice dose of passion equals a more satisfying quality of life so core values then we got a, a passion then that is where we're headed toward a more satisfying quality of life and and that hope again is a big piece of helping you get unstuck so we can kind of see we're developing a nice pattern here right life life is difficult who cares we're gonna we're gonna get through it now that we know that it kind of takes the sting out of that we're going to let go of the past. We're going to look for small victories. We're going to develop awareness. Um, we're going to develop some core values. We're going to um, try to be more aware about what our passions are. And then last but not least, uh, I need you to start believing in yourself. And there are a lot of ways that people go about this. Um, some people are fans of you know positive mantras. Uh, and and I, I, I'm guilty. At, I have clients that eat it up. They have stuff on their uh, mirrors that, you know, hey, you're you're, you're good enough, you're better, you're not, you know, your past, you're not the stories you've heard. And I love when those speak to clients. I get so stuck on, as a, as a kid who grew up in the 80s of the Stuart Smalley, the Senator Al Franken's character on Saturday Night Live, when he would sit in front of the mirror and, you know, you're, you're good enough and doggone it, people like you. So in my mind, I go to that often, but, but these positive mantras can really, really help. And if anything, I mean, find your own way to do that. And that's where with me, I like to challenge those automatic negative thoughts. I like to challenge my brain and kind of go, no, no, no. Uh, I see what you're trying to do there, brain. You know, not on my watch. So uh, I'm not going to believe that, those negative thoughts. So recognize that negative self-talk. Recognize your self-doubt. Become an observer of how you typically react to a situation. Does it benefit you? Is it productive? Does it play into your core values or your passions? It's, it's not... Um, you know, if not, if that's not a productive thought, then it's time to start moving those thoughts through the brain. Don't fixate on non-productive thoughts. And, uh, and that is a process, but I tell you it will work. And when you find yourself saying things like, you know, I can't, I never have been able to, I'm not sure if I can, even just in the vein of awareness, you're again, your neuro pathways of the brain are so used to that being the default, the go-to that even at first, as you're kind of putting this, all of this together, I just want you to, to label that as that is not a productive thought. That is the wrong thought. And then do me a huge favor and start by just saying the right thought right behind it. And in my pornography recovery program, I, I have a module called Wrong Thought Right. And it is simply just to start recognizing the wrong thought and then and then just start you know putting the right thought in there. Even if it doesn't have a solid foundation to hold on to yet, um, at least just go through that exercise of identifying what the right thought is. So if you say, I, you know, I can't, that's an easy one. I just want you to even acknowledge and say, okay, or maybe I can, or I can, or I feel like I can. 
if you, you know, if it's I'm not sure, that can be one of several things. You know, I'll find out, or I really do think there's a good chance that I can. And I am um, I'll go into a little bit of hypocrite bill here. I am a big fan of journaling, but more specifically. Uh, it's to make sure you journal. I'm a big fan of journaling positive experiences. When your automatic negative thoughts kick in, sometimes it is so powerful to go back to a positive journal entry. And that sometimes is enough to do the trick. Because a lot of times we'll think, you know, uh, this never works for me or whatever the situation is. And if you and if you go back and you read a journal entry where something did work, that can that can kind of get you out of that all or nothing black and white thinking. So, I mean, we all have successes, even little ones, but our minds are so quick to throw shade, as the kids say, on the successes. And so your mind is going to tell you to focus on the negative and you are going to be able to fight that off. So I think that's a pretty good place to uh, to end today. Um, so first, let, let's kind of go back through those steps, right? Uh, first, be willing. Well, even before that, kind of the, what we led up to this, life is difficult. But now, what do you do with that information? Because again, there is not a great prize if you're able to prove that you have things worse than others. Change can and does occur, but it's going to take some work. And that is okay, because along your journey, you might even find some other opportunities that you never knew existed. Um, super quick story. This, this is one. When I was making a career change, I think I, I said that I spent 10 years in software, computer software. Uh, I met with a, an individual. His name was Bob Gray. He was a friend of mine. I think he was in construction consulting, but it, which if you don't know what that is, I mean, he advocated, I think, for the little guy that was doing you know construction work with bigger guys and, and uh, kind of a neat, neat uh, niche that he had found. But I went and met with him one time and I asked him how he got into construction consulting and he just talked about how, you know, when he was doing a career change in his life, he we have this tendency to think of, okay, I'm at A and now I want to be whatever. I want to be a doctor. I want to be a lawyer. And quite frankly, that's when some of the negative self-talk can kick in of like, well, you're not smart enough. You never did well enough in school, whatever it is. But so he was talking about, you know, just start that journey. And when you get from A, you're not going to go all the way to Z. When you get to point B, guess what? That might even look different. That might be on your way uh, to becoming a doctor and now you take a class on something else and then you find that that's something that you really like and then that might take you in a whole different direction. But a lot of times we're stalled or we're stuck because we go ahead and assume that we can't um, see ourselves all the way at point Z or we can think of all the reasons why we can't get to point Z when in reality, let's just get moving off of A. <laughs> let's just get unstuck and let's see where it goes because it could take you in a lot of different directions. So I was always grateful for that uh, that lesson that he taught me. But... Um, but so you might find opportunities you never knew existed. And so here's where we go. First, be willing to let go of the past. And again, I know that is easier said than done. That All of these things are going to be a process. Second, go for small victories. Uh, that will help build up your emotional baseline and help you to feel better about the work that you're doing and about the direction that you're heading. Third, develop more awareness. Uh, again, I recommend mindfulness. I recommend prayer. But I really recommend starting to change the relationship that you have with your thoughts. They are thoughts. There are so many of them that go through your head throughout the day. And a lot of them are just, you know, if you really study the epistemology of thought, there are thoughts that come just because they are little electrical impulses that the brain has snagged out of your subconscious and just said, how about this one? How about this one? But yet we will go, oh my gosh, what do I do with that that thought, right? And go back and listen to that, the podcast I did on um, dealing with unwanted thoughts because you know, there's a way to handle your thoughts, the ones that you don't that you don't want as well. But just because you have the thought doesn't mean that's who you are. And uh, and then remember, thought suppression doesn't work. Trying to tell yourself, stop thinking that. Your brain's going to keep holding up that little sign. What this? Stop thinking about this. 
But so it's going to be, a, it's you know, the, the quicker you can learn to change that relationship with your thought and move that thought on through your brain, the better. So that's the, the, the awareness. And uh, fourth, at your core, who are you? It might be time to rediscover that. And, and find out what what is your core value. Do you want to seek knowledge, help the needy, animals, elderly, um, wish well upon others, uh, you know, show your faith more in what you do? That's going to be a core principle that's going to guide you. It's going to be part of your compass. And then fifth, what makes you feel alive? How do you how do you find the passion in your life again? And if you have if you have let that go, um, it's okay. We're going to rediscover it. And I even want you to know. Sometimes there's a negative connotation to people who, you know, start to try one thing and then they try another thing and then they try another thing. And then that that is perfectly OK. There is a wonderful podcast called The Hidden Brain. And they did one an episode on on getting unstuck. Uh, I think it was during last year, last season. And they talked about using this model from Silicon Valley of of um, prototyping of how, you know, you can try something. And then now with this newfound awareness, you can kind of look at that and say, OK, that's really not for me. Or I'm going to take a part of whatever this new hobby or passion or interest is, and now I'm going to explore a different part of it. Or quite frankly, I'm just going to say this was a, uh, I'm aware, it brought some awareness, and I'm going to move on and try something else. But find those things that make you feel alive. And and that's where I don't want you, that that needs to be you. So that's where we need to you know, watch out for the 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 being should on by other people when people say, well, you should do this or you should do that. And so a lot of times that's been what has guided us to the point of, and led us to feel uh, stuck. So, so we want to find out what, what drives you, what's your passion. And then sixth, I really need you to start believing in yourself, whether you, whether you start down this um, road of, of mantras, positive self-talk, um, start identifying, um, have an awareness around the wrong thought and slide a right thought in there. Do whatever you can to start establishing this pattern that you truly can believe in yourself. And, and if you put these things in action, all kind of couched around this idea that, that hey, you know what? Life, it, it, it's going to be difficult, but but so what? That's the data we have to work with, and now let's move through it. And I want you to know, and you know, kind of coming out of all of this that I'm talking about today, I'm not saying that that, that concept of life is difficult means, man, this whole thing is going to stink. No, that's the stuff where using that concept helps us now get unstuck. And then that is when you can truly find the beauty and the joy in life. That's when you can really, uh, and, and it starts to become a, an amazing pattern where when you now are confronted with something that you feel like isn't fair or something that is difficult, your brain is going to get to the point where the basal ganglia is going to kick in and say, Hey, I got this. We're going to, you know, we're going to have some awareness around it. We're going to, you know, we're going to put it through our, um, our belief system, our core values, and uh, we're going to believe in ourselves and we're going to power through this and we're going to end up turning this thing into a strength. We're going to tunnel through the mountain or we're going to climb over the mountain. And when we get to the other side, we're going to have so much more experience. And now, as a matter of fact, we're going to be able to help others when they when they kind of get met, when they meet one of those mountains in front of them, too. So there you go. That is a uh, I think that is a it's a good place to stop. So um, uh, confront those difficulties, have awareness, challenge and move past those, those, those stories from your past, that negative self-talk and find prayer and meditation, find time for that. Learn to calm the mind and identify those core values and passions and then believe in yourself. And it's going to take a little bit of time to start carving out those new neuropathways. 
but boy, I am I am sitting here in my chair doing this daily for a living, watching people change, and I am telling you it is absolutely worth it. So I want to thank you for your time. Um, if you notice today, I tried to dial back the uh, the, um, the the advertisement, but we were once again sponsored by Eli's Extracts, and I'm grateful for that. If you go to Eli's E L I S dash extracts E X T R A C T S dot com. Um, and buy any of their all-natural shaving creams uh, and enter the, the coupon code virtual couch, all one word, you will get 25% off of any order. And please continue to contact me at contact at pathbackrecovery.com. And I really appreciate over the last week or two, there's been a lot more. Um, the subscriptions to the podcast have gone up. Um, we got great ratings and uh, there have been some really good reviews. So if you could continue to do that, I would be forever in your debt. That helps me get the word out more about the podcast. And this is something that I am passionate about. Uh, I also um, had a couple of people contact me. I've been doing a little more speaking lately. Um, I am available to speak to your, your church, your school, your class, your group. And I love that about a, a number of topics. It doesn't have to be about addiction. It can be about um, finding joy in life. It can be about communication. It can be about um, you know couples, uh, how, to, how to interact more with couples. It can be about how to talk to your kids about anything, pornography, addiction, um, and how to strengthen those bonds. So if you are interested in that, uh, contact me at contact at pathbackrecovery.com. And again, I appreciate the time. I appreciate all of the wonderful feedback. The downloads just continue to grow, and I'm so grateful for that. And I will see you next time on the virtual couch. Aurora Florence, take it away. Compressed emotions flying past Our heads and out the other end The pressures of the daily grind It's wonderful Elastic waste and rubber I'm floating past the midnight hour They push aside the things that matter Explode, allow the understanding through.